You are Locked On Chargers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Chargers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome into the Locked On Chargers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade. Joined as always by my co-host, David Drogemeyer. And today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. Before we get started, we are two writers who got our start covering the Chargers, writing for San Diego Sports Domination, San Diego's top sports blog, where we've been covering the Chargers for over six seasons. And now this is our fourth season as the host of the Locked On Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day. What's up, guys? Well, I'm happy to be here with some actual news for you guys. The Chargers made their latest Splash, if you can call it that, in free agency. The Chargers brought in an outside linebacker, Kyler Fackrell, which is where we're going to start today's show. But before we get into it, let me just thank everyone who is checking out the show for the first time. We really appreciate you guys. And another special thank you for all of our loyal fans checking back in with us again. But that is where we're going to start because we knew that the Chargers, especially going to a 3-4 system with Brandon Staley, we knew they didn't have a lot of outside linebacker depth, right? I mean, Joey Bosa can stand up at times. I think we expect Luchenin Wosu to play there, but the Chargers made another signing, at least as depth, with Kyler Fackrell coming from the New York Giants and the Green Bay Packers. So we're going to start there, but then in this second segment, we wanted to get into a story done by Daniel Popper about Brandon Staley during his time at Mercyhurst, which is where he spent his graduate transfer year in college, how he ended up there, how his bond was solidified with now offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi and more. And then to wrap up the show today, we're going to be getting into a free agency grade done by Pro Football Network that I think was circulating around Chargers Twitter that gave the Chargers a D in free agency, just because I know a lot of people were kind of freaking out about that. And we'll get into why the reasoning doesn't really make a lot of sense, even though, yes, there are some points there, but overall, I think we'll kind of be able to debunk that a little bit. So let's go ahead and get into it. After being silent for a couple of days as far as bringing in external free agents, the Chargers struck again on Wednesday, this time bringing in a signing that really wasn't on anybody's radar when they brought in outside linebacker Kyler Fackrell, who came in from the Giants after spending four years as a Green Bay Packer, and his biggest claim to fame was his 2018 season with the Packers, where he had 10.5 of his career 20.5 sacks. Then the next year, they end up bringing in Zadarius and Preston Smith, he falls into a smaller role, and then last year, in 2020, with the Giants, he ends up playing in 12 games, registers four sacks, an interception, and a forced fumble. David, this is something that we've been clamoring for, at least something on the edge. We didn't need it to be necessarily Von Miller or Leonard Floyd, but you needed some depth at that position. You needed at least somebody that could bring you some sort of pass-rushing presence, especially since you didn't have your key reserve guy the last couple of years, Isaac Rochelle. And it seems like they settled on Fackrell. Yeah, Kyler Fackrell, I mean, he's a pretty good-sized guy, 6'5", 245, 250 pounds. I mean, he's been a solid contributor throughout his career. I mean, 20 and a half sacks in his seasons. And, you know, he's a guy that is going to be able to help provide some pass rush, which I've talked about many, many times at nauseum that the Chargers need to find other places to manufacture some pass rush. This guy has shown throughout his career that he's able to get to the quarterback. Also, I think he plays with really good effort. 
he definitely plays from you know plays to the whistle, which I appreciate. Has I think he has good strength. He doesn't really get tossed around by the the tackles very often. He's able to kind of push them back a little bit. He has pretty good active hands. I think he can cover. He's definitely not. Um, I would say the best at it. It's not his best tool in his tool bag. But and he's also able to set the edge. Uh, I think when I was watching him, a guy who kind of came to mind a little bit was a former Charger, Jarrett Johnson. I mean, I don't know if how accurate that is. I think Jarrett Johnson was a little bit bigger, a little more physical. But I also think Kyler can get to the quarterback a little bit better. But I think he's going to be solid depth. I think the Chargers needed to add somebody like this. And uh, I think he has the opportunity to help the Chargers out. And definitely another underrated feature of Kyler Fackrell is that he's played about a thousand snaps on special teams, which I think that came from Daniel Popper of The Athletic, which obviously the Chargers need help on special teams anywhere they can get it, considering they had one of the worst units in the league last year. Yeah, and for him, he gets a chance to, you know, with a really down market, bounce back with a really good coach in Brandon Staley and try to hit the market again next year and maybe make something a little bit more substantial than he's going to get this year. And I think we knew a signing like this was going to come at some point because that's what he's been able to do. I mean, he's been able to give some guys career years, whether it's and as an outside linebacker coach with the Bears or even with the Broncos or last year with Leonard Floyd. I mean, you've seen guys really flourish under him. And we knew they probably wouldn't be in the market for Leonard Floyd because of what that price tag was going to be. But we were also saying, like, how do we get the next Leonard Floyd, who obviously this guy doesn't have it, you know, the first round pedigree that Floyd had. But what he does have is a season in which he showed the ability to be able to get after the passer on an above average level. And you're just hoping that Brandon Staley can tap back into some of that and just give you a competent situational pass rusher and a guy that can come in on early downs and help you in the running game. Tackling was a big issue. It was something I noticed when I was watching him. I looked it up on Pro Football Reference. They said he missed 17.1% of his tackles. He only ended up playing in 12 games. Obviously, that's pretty alarming. Even in 2018, he missed 14.3% of his tackles. But for a situational player, a guy that can bring in some pass rush ability, I think, like we talked about before the show, David, that's really all you're really looking for, a guy who can set the edge. A guy who can generate a little bit of pass rush, and I don't think any of us expect him to go for 10 and a half sacks in 2021, but I think you think that maybe Brandon Staley could go somewhere in the middle of that and what he's been able to do his the rest of his career. Yeah, I mean, if Brandon Staley takes this guy and he turns him into a six to eight sack type of guy, then I think Kyler Fackrell will have made some money in that season for doing that. I mean, people around the league, teams around the league, are looking for pass rush. Obviously, that's why these guys get paid lots and lots of money because they impact the game. And if you can find a guy on a reasonable deal that can provide that type of production, then any team in the league is looking for that. So I do love the point that you made about the, uh, you know, an opportunity to reestablish some value for Kyler Fackrell. If he's able to put together one of those type of seasons, I mean, maybe utilize Brandon Staley a little bit. Uh, you know, obviously there's always a little bit of give and take, but if he goes out there and performs, then he could get that big money deal that obviously all these guys are looking for. But I think in the meantime, this is going to be a good depth piece. I think this is the beginning of what I think is going to turn into mostly defensive signings remaining until we hit the draft. You would have to think that the focus would be on that side. I mean, a starting corner and a starting left tackle are obviously the two biggest holes that you have on the roster currently, but you would have to think that just because of the people lost defensively, like Rayshon Jenkins, like Denzel Perryman, who 
really, you know, have replacements somewhat with a guy like Kenneth Murray. Obviously, Drew Tranquil coming back for Rajon Jenkins. You have Nazir Adderley and hopefully a healthy Derwin James. But still, depth on the defensive line. You found a little bit of depth at linebacker, but you still need more at corner and safety, in my opinion. So we'll see how they decide to address that. But I think the one thing this does bring up is, does this mean that a reunion with Melvin Ingram or a reunion, a re-signing of Melvin Ingram is out of the question? So I do think that if, when you're signing an outside linebacker, it probably makes it less likely you're going to go get another one. I wouldn't put it at a 0% chance, David, but Melvin Ingram is openly going to the Chiefs. And, you know, even though he comes away without a deal, it's hard to imagine that he's out there seeking something if there's a high percentage chance he's coming back to the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it at the right dollar amount. I mean, I think last year is not a really true representation, at least if you look at the stats. I think they're a little bit misleading. I think that was one of the things that you kind of sold me on before the show is that he was still highly productive at getting after the quarterback. It just wasn't manifesting itself in sacks, right? Um, So, yeah, he was very injured last year, and he had the contract thing, and, of course, COVID affected everybody. So there was a lot of things that was just going against him. So I think if you have a healthy Melvin Ingram, I think still think that's a guy that can help impact the game for you. But, I mean, it, it all comes down to the money, right? And, you know, the Chargers are ultimately going to say it. But I wouldn't hate it, you know, at the right price if they brought back Melvin Ingram. Yeah, and the health, I think you'd have to be totally sold on. And he's not going to be able to get a better offer from somewhere else. And I think if he can find a better offer, he will probably take it. It's what he should do at this point. But, hey, maybe he sees there's nothing out there and decides if Brandon Staley and them are game to come back and rejoin the Chargers. But I think that is pretty unlikely to happen at this point. But we do have two more segments to get into. We're going to get into a really cool story from Daniel Popper about Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi coming up after this before we wrap the show up with a ludicrous free agency grade given out by Pro Football Network against the Chargers. But first, I need to tell you guys, if you ever need any kind of auto part, if something gets dinged up on your car, if you get into an accident and you have to replace a part, the best place to go is rockauto.com. I would also suggest if you guys ever go to a mechanic and they're telling you a price is a certain amount, I always try to double check that with rockauto.com. Make sure I can't get that at a better price because for me, a lot of it comes down to convenience. I don't want to go into chain stores and try to tell the guy what's going on with my car and you know have him look through a book or a computer to try to find it. For me, I just put in the type of car that I have and a few easy clicks on rockauto.com. I'm finding the part I need at the best price I can find it for. And I don't think you can ask for anything else other than getting it delivered right to your door, which is also a pretty sweet thing from rockauto.com. But all you have to do is go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts they have available for your car or truck and write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box so they know we sent you? Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. I also need to tell you guys about the bracket of all brackets, the bracket that is deciding what the best protein bar in the world is. And of course, I'm talking about the Built Bar bracket madness going on right now. You guys can go vote on your favorite Built Bars at BuiltBar.com in their bracket challenge. And today, we have a hell of a matchup because we have Mint Brownie versus Coconut Puff. So the Puffs are ones that have grown on me. It's basically like a marshmallow inside and the coconut flavor has grown on me a lot too. Mint Brownie is a staple, though. It's going to be a hard team to knock off in this tournament. Just has a ton of history. People are very familiar with it. It's a household name. I do think that Coconut Puff is going to have a hard time 
knocking off mint brownie in this tournament. But if you guys want to check it out, make sure to go to builtbar.com. You can even save 15% on your next order. When you use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, all caps, one word. And make sure to go to builtbar.com so you can vote your favorite bar into the finals to win the best protein bar tournament in the world. All right, now I want to get into something I saw that was really cool. David, I know you were telling me to read this article done by Daniel Popper about Brandon Staley on TheAthletic.com. And it was a really cool article because it really was very insightful, not just about Brandon Staley, but new offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi too. Because for those who don't know, Brandon Staley was a quarterback at Dayton for four years. And then in his graduate transfer year, he ended up transferring to Mercyhurst. And that was the first thing that stood out, David, because... I remember when I saw that, it's like, why would you go from Dayton as the starting quarterback coming off of two winning seasons and go to Mercyhurst? And I think when I figured out why he went there, I had a totally new respect for him doing it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he had a pretty cushy position uh, at Dayton as the starting quarterback. Um, You know, he could have went back there and played there again. But his brother um, actually was, you know, dealing with injuries, dealing with, you know, lack of production, and he kind of lost the love for the game of football. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, he was going to retire. He was going to quit. He was going to go do something else with his life. And Brandon Staley kind of caught wind of that and was like, hey, man, you know, I'm going to go out there and play with you. I mean, you, you would regret it. If you did not play your senior year, you would regret it. And so he showed up. I mean, he left Dayton, graduated, and was in there basically at Mercyhurst the next week to play football with his brother. And that kind of just shows you, you know, when he talks about family and how it's important to him, I mean, this is just an example of of that being real. You know, he's not lying. He's, you know, he really means it when he says it. And that was, I mean, I think a, a theme throughout this story that Daniel Popper wrote about Brandon Staley is that you get a better understanding of the man who Brandon Staley is and kind of what led him to becoming the coach that he is now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest thing was that they were both coming off of grieving their mother who ended up dying in 2004, the year before Brandon Staley transferred over to Mercyhurst and their twin brothers. So they had been together their entire life, grown up together. And then the last four years, they'd really been separate because they were playing at different colleges. So to keep his brother playing the game that he loves, he transfers, gets to play with him, ends up winning the starting job and then losing it for being low-key terrible and having a bunch of turnovers. But the one thing that was just seeping through this article was just how pretty much instantly Brandon Staley turned into a coach as he was a player on that team, right? I mean, he ended up losing the job and now he's teaching all the quarterbacks in the quarterback room all the things that they need to know. He's teaching coaches what they need to know. That was another really funny quote from this. One of his teammates said, I remember within a week or two, not only was he teaching concepts to the other QBs who had been in the room for one or two, or in some case, three years, some of the offensive assistants, like our wide receivers coach, he was teaching things to. And whether you hear Joe Lombardi talking about him or any of his teammates here who said they knew what he would be eventually. I mean, it seemed like he was grasping it even at that young age. I mean, he was already turning into a coach while he was still a player. Yeah, they said his aptitude for learning and the way he was able to absorb information was incredible. Like he like the when people say that they have a photographic memory and their ability to retain information and be able to, you know, regurgitate it back out to you. I mean, that's very, very rare. I mean, I'd like to think I have a pretty decent memory, but I definitely don't have a photographic memory. 
to have the ability to to basically download an entire playbook in the midst of a week or two is absolutely insane. I mean, Daniel, you've been a football player, right? I mean, how long did it take you to learn a playbook? I mean, luckily, I was almost always playing on the defensive side of the ball, but I remember seeing playbooks, you know, in high school and junior college and thinking that that was a lot tougher than, you know, figuring out who was blitzing and doing all those things. I mean, I called plays defensively pretty much my whole high school career, but to know the playbook that inside and out, especially offensively, is something that is just really tough to do. And, I mean, you can see all these players talking about it in this article that he was just – on a different level and then the funny thing is is he had someone that pushed him you know to think past the limits of what he thought being a quarterback was and that was Joe Lombardi and basically to get a little insight of the type of coach that Joe Lombardi is he was doing things at the division two level at Mercyhurst that just people weren't doing in those days he scripted his first 20 plays Daniel Popper says every game when no one in Division Two was implementing that level of preparation, he would do perfect plays where everyone would have to do everything precisely right or they would have to redo it. I mean, the attention to detail and the thought of these two going into, you know, intellectual sparring matches in the coaches' room definitely seems like it was something that pushed both these guys to look a little bit differently at the game and especially for Brandon Staley, taught him how to think of the game on a different level. Yeah, I think honestly, you would consider Joe Lombardi like his sensei, basically. That's where he learned that he loved being a coach and wanted to be a coach. He said that he basically, that you know, they would have conversations and they, they had such trust that that kind of afforded Brandon Staley more starting opportunities because Joe Lombardi could trust that he knew the playbook and he was, you know, capable of going out there and executing it. And Obviously, his ability to communicate and his abil- his ability to teach other people that was very rare, and that that it's crazy how that relationship right there that that fostered at Mercyhurst College has now you know translated twenty plus years later into the NFL, and Brandon Staley sits as the Chargers' new head coach, and Joe Lombardi is now the Chargers' offensive coordinator. I mean, I think this story just shows you how small these circles are and how connected the NFL is and how these coaches find jobs. I mean, it it was a really incredible story of, of how Brandon Staley became a coach and how this kind of this current coaching staff got formed. Absolutely, and I think one of the best quotes about Lombardi was from one of the players who said, Football is in his blood, but honestly, there's more football in his brain than in his blood, which is pretty crazy, you know, when your grandfather is Vince Lombardi, you know, one of the most noted NFL minds in the history of the game. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I mean, Brandon Staley told him, you know, he really taught me the game at a high level, protections, the running game. How do these concepts fit together? How can we get in and out of play? So he learned a lot from him offensively. He was a coach that really pushed him to see the game better from a quarterback standpoint, giving the quarterback a lot more responsibility on the offense, saying sometimes there's many as 20 checks or audibles on any given play, which seems like a little bit too much. I don't know if uh, Justin Herbert needs all that. That seems like crazy (laughs) amount of adjustments. I mean, how could you remember all of that? I mean, wow. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I just think that it's so crazy to see how these guys linked up and then talking about those connections. I think it was 2006 Joe Lombardi ended up working on the Falcons staff with Ed Donatel. And then 11 years later, Ed Donatel is on the Chicago Bears staff and is a big reason why Brandon Staley gets hired to be their outside linebackers coach. And then three years later, he's a head coach 
in the NFL. But if you asked any of these guys who knew him while he was the quarterback at Mercyhurst College, I mean, none of them seemed like they would have been very surprised at all. But we do have one more segment to get into because we are going to talk about a crazy free agency grade. I know we don't put too much into free agency grades, but this one lit Chargers Twitter on fire. So we're going to get into how one network ended up giving the Chargers a D in free agency coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys that the biggest month to bet is right now during March Madness. While all the crazy games are happening, while all the biggest upsets are happening, and the biggest payouts are coming out, and the only place that you guys should be betting with is betonline.ag. It's a place where you're going to get the best odds. You're going to find anything that you're looking for there, and right now is the absolute best time to get in on it. All you have to do is head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to bet on all of the amazing slate of bets and odds, whether it's in UFC, whether it's in basketball, whether it's NFL futures or baseball coming up. You can find whatever you want there, and we'll even give you some free money for listening to the podcast. When you use the promo code Locked On, you can get a 50% welcome bonus. That's free money to bet with at betonline.ag. With the promo code Locked On, all caps, one word at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, well, it's time to wrap up the show today, and I want to talk about this just because we always try to, you know, look and see what everyone is kind of talking about on Chargers social media, and given the fact that we do a daily show, gives us that kind of unique ability to kind of see things as they happen and to be able to talk about them the next day, and I know one thing that definitely riled up the Chargers fan base for sure on social media was Pro Football Network coming out with a team-by-team free agency grade and the grade that they ended up giving the Chargers, which was a D. I don't want to totally just rip, you know, the guy who wrote this because free agency I grades... I do. <laughs> I know. Free agency grades, you know, in all respects, we can't know how this is going to play out, you know? It's all relative, right? I yeah. mean, they signed Brian Bulaga, Limbaugh Joseph, Chris Harris Jr., and really one of those guys out of those three actually played a big impact last season. And that, you know, we could even include the trade of Trey Turner. So that's not what this is about. But that's just to say that it's all silly. And he puts on here that it's more of a progress report at this point. And this was written March 23rd. So it's not like a bunch of signings have happened. They didn't know about the Kyler Fackrell news at this point. But they knew about a lot of the other ones. And this was done by Mike Tanier from Pro Football Network and a D. So why are they getting a D? Let's start with what they had to say about it, right? And he said that the Chargers overspent on offensive line upgrades, as they so often do. Somehow they never managed to build a truly great offensive line this way. Go figure. So the overspending part of it, you could argue that you overspent for Corey Lindsley. With some of the money that was given out to some other interior linemen that were out there, like a John Feliciano, for example, you could say that they overpaid from Matt Filer. I think with the way those contracts are constructed, I don't really think there's a lot of ways unless Corey Lindsay ends up being a you know a huge bust over these next two seasons that you're going to be paying them for performance that you're not really getting. I mean, I think both of those guys should be able to be a huge upgrades on the offensive line, which is huge when you have Justin Herbert. So I get that, you know, you have to be able to build offensive lines through the draft as well, but I think for Chargers fans, it's more than enough just the fact that they've brought in three new offensive line starters that should all be upgrades from their previous editions in 2020. Yeah, that's why I think this is crazy. I mean, the, they don't think that signing an all-pro center is is a good idea. I mean, yeah, they put spent a lot of money on him, but they had to. They they had to let their other teams know that you know this was a point of emphasis for them. They wanted to make sure that they were as strong as they possibly could be up the middle 
for Justin Herbert. So that communication is there. And, you know, if you have somebody stable in the middle, that makes everyone around you better. And, I mean, also this just reminds me of somebody looking at this from a macro level. And, yeah, he covers the entire NFL, right? And he doesn't cover the Chargers intimately like we do every single day. So <laughs> it's just kind of funny to me that he, he thinks that these are bad moves. I mean, Corey Lindsley is, like I said, one of the best centers in football. Matt Filer is a huge upgrade. Even Odeo Bushi is an upgrade over what we had last year. The Chargers offensive line was awful. I mean, all these guys are going to step in and make immediate impacts. I mean, I think one of the stats that people like to throw around is that Justin Herbert had one of the highest completion percentages under pressure. That's because he was under pressure all the time. I don't think that we want that number to be that high, and I think these guys are going to help make that number a lot more respectable. And I definitely give the Chargers credit for saying, hey, we're not going to bring these guys back just because they were on the team last year, right? Like, we're not going to bring even a single part of that starting offensive line back except for Brian Bulaga because contractually it just doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. But we're okay with finding replacements elsewhere and pretty sure that we're going to get better performance than what we got before. And it still has to happen, which is what makes these so dumb. But at the same time, it's hard, you know, sitting here as people who have covered the charges for forever to say that's dumb to finally put more money than they ever really have in free agency into the offensive line and with the chance to supplement that in the draft. But let's look at what else they said, because the other big things they said were Henry to cook is a significant downgrade at tight end. Jenkins and Hayward will be hard to replace in the secondary that is already thin. In other words, the Chargers organizational commitment to irrelevance is downright impressive. They should be gearing up for a quick surge during Justin Herbert's affordable years. Instead, they're spinning their wheels. So I know you wanted to talk about the Hunter Henry, Jared Cook, drop-off, which I do think it is a legitimate drop-off. I do think Hunter Henry, at his best, is a top tied, top 10 tight end in the league and is the much more well-rounded player. But as far as pure production and what you're getting, at least as a receiving threat, I know you think that it might be a lot closer than just you know being considered a flat loss. Yeah, I mean, I've said many times before, Hunter Henry has never put up monster numbers. Like, he's never had a 100-yard receiving game. Yeah, I mean, come on. You haven't even had a 100-yard receiving game. I mean, you never got close to a 1,000 yards receiving. I mean, there's several tight ends in the league that have done that and have done that routinely. Hunter Henry's never done that. I mean, yeah, he's a great blocker. I mean, I'll give him that for sure. He's one of the more complete tight ends in the league, but he's not an explosive pass catcher. I mean, he's a he's a guy that's very reliable. He runs good routes. He has strong hands, which is good, but... Jared Cook is, I mean, his numbers, you know, just purely numbers to numbers, they're very similar. And also, Jared Cook's been way more effective in the red zone. I mean, he's only, there's only a, a couple of guys in the league that have scored more touchdowns the last three seasons than Jared Cook has. So, I mean, I, I get, you know, the, the all-around tight end part. Yes, I mean, you probably have to bring in another type of blocking tight end to supplement the loss of that value from Hunter Henry. But I think, you know, in the red zone and, you know, the opportunities that Jared Cook is going to have to impact that and by moving the chains and by kind of just providing wisdom for the younger tight ends like Steven Anderson and Donald Parham, who has a lot of potential. I mean, bringing in a guy with this type of experience could really help unlock some things from those young guys and really help bring them along. I think there's underrated aspects to Jared Cook besides just the fact that his production is really not too far off. Yeah, and I love Hunter Henry. I mean, I thought he was such a good player when he was able to stay on the field. He only had one year where he ended up missing more than 
four games, and that was the year where he missed the entire season. And he was always dependable, reliable. He was never going to be that explosive yards after the catch guy. And I felt like this year, just his catch percentage, like the inconsistency between him and Justin Herbert when he was targeted. I mean, the guy had 90-plus targets last season and only you know caught about half of them. So they were never really on the same page there. And I think as long as you're giving Justin Herbert some sort of security blanket and a guy that he can trust to throw it to that's going to come down with it or be able to, you know, box out somebody or be able to create a little bit of separation. I think Jared Cook is fine there, but it depends if he diminishes at his age as well and what version of him you see too. So the last thing here, I think the big thing is the Casey Hayward, Rayshon Jenkins part of this. And I think the other big thing is who they have as key departures. So the key additions are Jared Cook, Corey Lindsley, Matt Filer. They're not putting re-signings on here, but obviously Michael Davis is a huge re-signing. And then the key departures are Casey Hayward, who obviously was coming off a down season, Hunter Henry, undoubted big loss. Offensive guard, Dan Feeney, not a key departure. <laughs> Safety, Rayshon Jenkins, I think he is a key departure because of the amount of snaps that he's played over the last two years. And then Nick Vigil is the last one who didn't really play very much last year and only played due to injury. So some of those key departures, I think, are a little bit overblown here. And I think the fact that the Chargers have put a lot into their offensive line is the other big part of this where it's like, they need to do literally everything possible. And I, and that's with me, you know, obviously admitting that the Chargers have a flawed free agency period so far. But as far as Rayshon Jenkins and Casey Hayward go, I can buy the argument, David, if you need a starting corner still. But I think with Rayshon Jenkins, obviously, if you're believing in Nazir Adderley and you also think that Derwin James is going to come back healthy, then it doesn't seem as big of a departure as, you know, a struggling corner and a guy who had a lot of plays on the field where he left a lot to be desired. Yeah, I mean, with Rayshon Jenkins, the versatility to me, I think, what is what makes him a little bit of a key departure. I mean, I'll, I'll grant that slightly. I mean, although he, he played both safety positions at adequate level, I don't think he was, you know, a superstar at, at either position. But Nick Vigil is not a key departure. I mean, he barely played. He played some special teams. He wasn't great. He was okay. I mean, he was a solid backup, but that's all he ever was as a backup and Dan Feeney yes he was a starter for those couple years just because he's a starter or was a starter doesn't mean he was good because he wasn't Dan Feeney was pretty bad the entire time he was with the Chargers he was not a key departure and this is again just another example of a guy who is covering the NFL that is just writing things for teams that just doesn't know what he's talking about at least not intimately and that's just what this is to consider that the chargers earned a d after what they've done to protect their young quarterback alone is just completely preposterous yeah i mean that's pretty harsh on him i definitely agree in this sense it doesn't seem like he totally knows you know the ins and out of what has made the chargers struggle because I mean, what gets them an A in this situation? They get John Johnson, right? Okay, that costs them, you know, 10 plus million in 2021, or even maybe let's say eight, seven or eight million in 2021. Okay, now you get Kyle Fuller for nine and a half for a one year deal. Now you're already biting into about 17 of what the Chargers started with, which is about, you know, 38 million in spending space. Okay, now you go and get, you know, somebody else who costs $10 million. Yeah, you might get three big additions or something along those lines, but you're not going to be able to sign all these guys, right? So you can see where the priorities were put. I don't think the Chargers have had anything close to a perfect free agency. I get the points of, hey, you had impactful players like Rayshon Jenkins 
who played a ton of snaps that might not be as easy, especially with Derwin James's injury history, to replace some of those snaps that you needed him on the field for. You can argue that Denzel Perryman was the best linebacker for the Chargers last year, and now he's gone, and they let that death piece who started often last year get away. I mean, Casey Hayward, yes, you don't have a starting corner at that position. You still don't have a starting left tackle. I think there's a lot of ways you can attack what they've done in free agency so far. I just don't think these were the right reasons, and I think they've done enough at least for me at this point, seeing the incomplete product that it is, for me to give it, you know, somewhere around an above average free agency period in my eyes just because of three upgraded starting offensive linemen in one free agency period is something that we've been not clamoring for, but I think something that can make a bigger impact than Hunter Henry did for the Chargers offense, than what Rayshon Jenkins did for the Chargers defense. I think that specific position group getting that much of an upgrade is going to have the largest impact of anything we're going to see from the Chargers in the rest of free agency. Finally building from the inside out. God, I love it. And it has to be supplemented in the draft, and they're not anywhere near done yet. But that is going to do it for today's show. Luckily, tomorrow is Free Agent Friday. So at the end of the second week of free agency, we'll be taking a look at what's still left out there, guys that can still come in and make a difference because the Chargers still have a little bit of wiggle room with that spending money to go out there and bring in some more veterans. But until then, make sure to go follow us on Twitter at LockedOnLAC. Make sure to go like the Facebook page of Locked On Chargers, as well as giving us a follow on our new Instagram page, which you can find at Locked On Chargers. If you don't already, make sure you subscribe to the show, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, you can find the show there. And it's the fastest and easiest way to get the show and to make sure you don't miss an episode. If you guys want to get in on the voicemail line, the number is 323-524-7924. And we try to get every Chargers voicemail played on the show. And we'll have some more voicemails coming out for you guys next week. But that's going to do it for us today. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, take it easy and go Bolts.